0: Resurfaces is a podcast presented to you by me, your host, Emily Utrup. In each episode, I'll talk to athletes and industry leaders who have faced adversity. And through shared vulnerability, I'll explore the mental and emotional challenges they have faced and discover the strategies they have used to not only bounce back, but to come back stronger than ever. I want to motivate and inspire you to show your vulnerability, acknowledge your fears, and to follow your dreams. hey barrett it's so nice to see you and welcome to resurface podcast i am so excited to be interviewing you today and to dig into your story because you are not just one of the best snowboarders out there you also have an amazing career now and there's so much stuff to dig into so i'm super excited and today you're with us all the way from the us
1: yeah, thank you so much, Emily. It's been really fun to watch you and, and everything you've done uh across the internet. <laughs> and uh, I was like it's so nice to just sit down and talk with you. Yeah. Face to face. I know because
2: we kind of we connected a little bit. You reached out to me after you watched one of my talks and then we had a chat and, and it just seems like we have a lot of things in common and And you kind of shared your vulnerability with me as well. And And it kind of went both ways. And I, I love meeting people like that. And when you just have so many shared interests. And then last time when we had to talk, I asked you to be on the podcast. So it's super lovely to have you here. And first, would love to hear your story and how you kind of got into snowboarding and where snowboarding has taken you.
1: Awesome. Yeah, snowboarding has been now a part of my life for 30 years. I um, I started it pretty late compared to kids now. I didn't grow up around, I didn't even grow up around the mountains really, but um, always had, like felt drawn to want to go to the mountains, but it wasn't until after high school that I took some road trips and ended up uh, in Lake Tahoe in California from the East Coast. So road trip across the country and landed up in the mountains. And um, it was the first time I saw snowboarding? So I hadn't, I hadn't been exposed to it before. I just knew I wanted to go live in the mountains and fresh air and, you know, the West Coast just seemed like the place I needed to be. So (laughs) when I discovered snowboarding, I was more or less attracted to the lifestyle and just how much easier it looked than skiing. And, uh, it wasn't easier than skiing, but it was more graceful and, and the learning curve was a little faster, but, um, but yeah, it just, I ended up trying to snowboard for the first time at 19 and then quickly just got obsessed with it and, um, made it a priority in my life and moved to Colorado to be closer to mountains there and to try and go to college but um, college quickly got put aside when uh, I started getting opportunities to travel and compete and yeah in a few years snowboarding had changed my life. Now you're being very modest because I know like in the
2: 90s you were one of the most winning and woman snowboarders There was I think you have but tons of X metal X medals, X Games medals, and <laughs> <No>. yeah, <laughs> you've been to the Olympics, so many, many things to unpack there. But if we go back a little bit, like when you started snowboarding at nineteen, did you just move to your, the mountains by yourself? Did you live as a like ski bum
1: for a while? Like, what was the story there? Yeah, I mean, I ended up by myself. I was, I was definitely an independent person and and I left the left the east coast around Philadelphia where I grew up with some friends but we had a bunch of stops along the way and at some point we had different trajectories and and I wanted to go to the mountains and my friend wanted to go to the city and and we all went to the beach uh, out to the coast for a little bit but um we all had different things we wanted out of that trip and uh, so I ended up in the mountains and um, yeah, mostly independent, but definitely the ski bum thing. I, I mean, I moved in with old, with friends that had graduated the year before me and, and they all just skied and and just got a taste of living, you know, working a crappy job, not making much money and just trying to make very little go a long way. And um, all that really mattered was just getting a ski pass and just being, uh, you know being able to go up and and that drive eventually paid off I mean I eventually figured it out but I certainly wasn't like it, it didn't catch on right away the skills weren't there but but I spent enough time over the next couple of years and that was the early 90s so there just weren't as many snowboarders and there definitely weren't as many women doing it and um, I was super motivated by the girls that I did see and and just felt like this camaraderie girls and guys in the sport because it was so new and everybody was really just um, discovering or I you know, creating and identifying what snowboarding was to be. And uh, and so it was it, it was part of that just those early years were so attractive because it was, it was all new and, and we were kind of making it up as we went along, but I did, I benefited from being one of, you know, fewer women in the sport then that were, that were competing or or doing anything that got some media attention. So then when the sto- sport started to blow up more in the nineties, you know, I was there at a good time to, take advantage of that and then start doing those x games and the first olympics and i mean i'm not discounting what i did but it was also just such a very different time in the industry and uh, it was it was great it was awesome to be there for when it blew up and hit the mainstream that must have been yeah such an incredible time but At what age did
2: you really start like making it in snowboarding and, you know, competing and winning, winning medals? When, when did that happen?
1: Yeah, I'm aging myself now, I'm afraid, (laughs) but like the fact that I started at 19 is kind of unusual. Like for now, it wouldn't, that wouldn't, would be really hard to do and to then get to the level to compete. Um, in those events i mean i was 23 maybe i got my first sponsor and started doing some amateur events and then you know by 24 25 um i think that's when the x games would have started and um so there i mean there were definitely some younger kids and there were deaf women who had come before me who were right there you know that i was striving to beat and compete against but um but yeah i mean it was we were all a little bit older these days when you go to the x games and if you're at that elite level you're competing against 12 year olds and if you're 19 you're probably have been doing it for a while and are are almost um the older crew in the scene and now it's very different but then we were all a little more mature maybe
2: (laughs) yeah And how was it in the 90s being like a woman in in snowboarding and the snowboarding culture when it was, I guess, back then it was maybe a very like male dominated sport. So how was it to one of the first to push women in that sport?
1: Yeah, there was I mean, it's funny now just like reflecting on it, because at the time it it certainly just felt like we were all in it, like girls and guys were trying to maybe um, get more respect and attention for snowboarding because it was there was still this like animosity between skiing and snowboarding. Some resorts didn't allow snowboarding. And there was this preconceived notion that if you're a snowboarder, you're a total derelict and you have no respect and you're, you know, dangerous and rude. And, and that may have been the case for some, but it was also the case for skiers. So it really had nothing to do with it. So I felt like um, as women, and men in snowboarding, we were kind of all one, like sort of, it just felt like a a community thinking back on it now and realizing like a lot of those events were the first time snowboarding had hit the mainstream, like mainstream television with the X games or MTV did a couple of events. And, um, and it was different in that, like the media, when the, when that media was approaching snowboarders and especially the women, they really didn't know what to make of it. And they they certainly asked a bunch of dumb questions and and just made us feel like as girls, maybe we should feel separate. We should feel different. And and that was that was a little odd because it, we had come from this like big community all together, the guys and the girls, we we would all ride together and there wasn't a whole um a very clear separation between us but then as soon as we got into this that competitive world there was like oh you're a snowboard betty like how did you have to fight to get this place and didn't feel like a fight up until that point and then when the media brought it to everybody's attention then it almost felt like there was more of a separation because then we had something to prove to kind of get back up to that same level of respect that was starting to get generated in the sport. It didn't feel like a fight. It was just, there were some, there were some moments, especially with the bigger events where, um, they may not have had a women's category because their sponsors could only, you know, support to a certain level and they weren't really thinking the women's events were as exciting, or they didn't think that women had the skills or could, um, put together a field big enough to compete against at the the same level as the guys and so there were there were definitely like prize purse discrepancies and some of the events and some of them just didn't even have a women's category Winter x games we did they did women's categories in every um discipline but when they did the big air event there weren't there weren't a lot of big air events leading up to that. So there weren't there wasn't a deep field of women that were comfortable stepping into that. And I think they invited probably 10 of us. And, and in the end, only five of us did it. I think it was five. So it was less than what they invited because it was an unfamiliar territory and, and that the jumps weren't that good then either. And they looked dangerous and they probably were even if they weren't as big as the ones now they just weren't built um as well but but it just made it so like you had to see the women doing it before the next year came around and there was like 30 women that wanted to do it you know you, you just had to see what was possible before um yeah before that and push
2: each other and and yeah yeah, sh- show the way yeah but that's amazing just coming back to that like the you know, the danger, as you also say, of of the jumps and all this. Um back then, how how did you deal with this pressure of competing? Like not just not, not just the pressure of competing, but also the pressure that comes with, you know, competing in a dangerous sport because you're also putting yourself out there in a quite a quite a dangerous way. Like how did you deal with that?
1: Yeah, I you should ask my mom how she dealt with that. <laughs> because I think it was probably harder on her. I don't know. I I, I felt that uh, w- when we first started doing those events, I mean, I honestly didn't come from a, a very freestyle background. Like all my snowboarding was just learning to ride on natural terrain. I lived in places that didn't have parks or man-made jumps because that wasn't as common then. But those mountains were, you know, rocks and cliffs and steeper lines. And And I learned how to, you know, just get confident on my board and and control my edges and balance and in in that type of terrain. So then when I got to parks that were groomed and predictable and you know, jumps were built, even if they weren't built um to perfection, they were they were predictable. And and so so it seemed to me like I was less at risk there doing that stuff than I was when I was riding natural terrain where an avalanche could come down behind you or you could uncover a rock in a landing and and so I felt like going back to the parks was maybe a little easier um so I I hadn't it it was just a matter of airtime and landing it wasn't so much about trick execution then because any trick was even sometimes not landing I'd still win contest just because I tried something and it it was also new. And so it wasn't as disciplined as the sport is now in those, those categories, but, um, yeah, I came from gymnastics. So I had what I thought was okay, air awareness and, and balance. And so the tricks doing flips and spins, like at first just felt, felt like a natural thing that I could do, but definitely had to keep progressing and stepping up from where it started because at first Mm -hmm. all you had to do was just clear the to the landing and land on your feet and you had a decent chance of winning (laughs) but it's it it definitely progressed quickly after that
2: yeah I can imagine but also now you're talking a lot about the physical preparation but Did you ever do like anything like mentally to prepare for this, uh, for the pressure of competition and the danger? Yeah,
1: I didn't know what I was doing, but, but I was, you know, I was, I was focused and, and I remember like just visualizing a lot and, um, you know, I was doing yoga and, and definitely focused on, um. Just what it it was, it was a cool time because my goal was so clear or actually my vision was clear. I had this vision. I was going to be a pro snowboarder and I was going to do every event and every opportunity that came my way. I wanted to do film for movies. I wanted to go to Alaska and I wanted to do all this stuff. So the goals just stacked up below that. The vision was like long-term. I knew where I wanted to go, but how I was going to get there wasn't the point. It was just, I said yes to every contest and I just kind of kept improving my mental and physical game and just kept working towards that like vision. I just wanted to be a pro snowboarder and I wanted to make a living at it and not have to have a job too. And so it's cool to reflect back on that now because my vision was so clear that everything kind of lined up to support that. And And, and I was, you know, I was always pretty analytical and introspective. And I did think a lot about, you know, that visualizing getting to where I wanted to go. And, and it was cool that things kind of lined up to do that. (laughs) I didn't may not have been able to define that's what I was doing at the time, but it was just a passion. And when you have a passion that strong, things tend to just sort of fall into place.
2: Yeah, you knew exactly where you wanted to go and you just followed that path.
1: Yeah. yeah. And there wasn't it wasn't like that path was clear because you know the X games were brand new and the Olympics weren't even a thing for snowboarding when I started. And and so it wasn't like I had um a clear pathway to get there, but I just knew if I just kind of stuck to that vision and and kept it rooted in something I was passionate about, then I would get there. if only everything else could have been so clear beyond that,, <laughs> it's, yes. it's not it's uh, rare because not everybody has a vision, even you know, in their sports, so you get too hung up on like those contest results or that one thing that you just have to get past, then then you can get really stuck. And like it's it's, you know, not everybody goes through life with anything that they have that strong of a vision for. And so mm. uh, definitely feel. Really lucky that I found snowboarding and it found me. And <laughs> we had that time together.
2: Yeah, you definitely
1: had like such an amazing career.
2: And in the last episode, actually I was talking to a psychologist who is also works with a lot of athletes. And he he says that also when talking to athletes, is often it's like the mental preparation is almost more important for a lot of athletes nowadays than the, than the actually their physical. Um, preparation like if you feel good mentally it's almost more important Um, yeah so is there anything that you have learned like today now uh, after stepping back from your career any practice that you you're doing now that you wish that you knew about back
1: then you know it's almost like the opposite like I, I knew about some things back then that I implemented really well and and now I have to just go back and remind myself of how well that worked to the end and, and kind of use that in other ways and other things I want to achieve in my career and life. Um, but I do think that there was, you know, without understanding that I was working on my mental game or that I was working um, on my mental health, like like there were things I did then just because... It just felt right and 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 it really worked for me. But there were there were moments where the uh like I just wasn't ready for the level of attention or the the pressure. And I, I felt like I, I always put more pressure on myself than than you know I received from sponsors or peers. Like it just was a personal thing that I just wanted to always be better and and as a result I was pretty hard on myself when things failed. But but I, I don't think I was always ready for the, the cameras and the attention from media and and could have done a better job at like preparing for each event before I got there. And thinking about not just the snowboarding part of it, but what I would do if I was put in front of a camera and asked certain questions. <laughs> and I mean, it seems silly now, but there, it definitely uh is part of the game and and if you're gonna you know do well that's that's part of the job description To have to be able to speak and you know if you're working with sponsors to to be able to speak um well about their products and you know Mm -hmm. just know the whole the whole game yeah yeah definitely (laughs) figuring it out as we went along
2: but coming back you said that there were some things that you actually used back then, that you wish that you would use now as well. Because could do you want to share some of those things that you used to do that you wish that maybe you implemented in your routine nowadays?
1: Yeah, well, I think it has to do with that time of life where I had that vision and that was like all I wanted was snowboarding. And then you get older, and you know, all I, I knew what I wanted to achieve in snowboarding, and that's all that mattered. And then now, when you get older, and there's a lot I want to achieve as a, as a mom with our family. And then I want to achieve it things with my career. And, and I have a bunch of different projects that I'm involved in and, and, uh, and it's not so clean and clear that vision is a little more multifaceted now. And so I think, um, you know, when I, when I think back on the success in snowboarding, I kind of miss that having that like clear this is where I'm going and this is how I'm going to, you know, regardless of how I get there, I'm going there and I'm going to do this. And so um, I guess that's that's maybe a little bit of what I can learn from my past is just learning to focus a little more on the things that um, where I want to go, because all those steps in between kind of line up when when you have a clear focus. Yeah. So, but yeah, life gets more complicated than it was when you were 19 and (laughs) just trying to be a pro snowboarder. (laughs) So I'm still learning.
2: (laughs) For sure. But I also think that drive that you're talking about, I think that's something that professional athletes, they have. And, and, you know, I was also a professional athlete growing up and I also had that, you know, tunnel vision that this is just what I want. I just want to be a professional horse rider. There's nothing else matters. And uh, and I think like going into other things, I think at least we still have that type of drive sometimes, and and we get really hooked. And and I think that could kind of bring me into your career after snowboarding. How and when did you decide to to end your snowboard career, and and what did you go into after that?
1: Yeah, I I did feel like I was wanting to. Um... I wanted to make, be the one to call when I was going to stop competing. I didn't want it to be because I just kind of fell off or, or lost sponsor support or whatever. And I always felt strongly about that. And so um, I had a couple injuries that I had a hard time coming back from and eventually got back, you know, just well enough to to get a few more placings. But um but i also was in my 30s by then and wanted you know i met my husband and and sort of wanted to to settle down a bit and kind of got tired of traveling wanted that home base and for us to have the same home base and and so it just started it just felt natural to kind of move beyond um chasing around competitions or you know, photographers or filmers, or or having that be my primary objective, and and I did always enjoy like working with my sponsors, and you know at that time getting to consult on outerwear and and on snowboards, and so um, I did have a good relationship with the sponsors, and and ended up you know just having the opportunity to continue that influence and to work with them on product development and. And then because, you know, I knew all the team riders and a lot of them, I had helped get into these companies. So so I was, you know, maybe a bit of a team mentor for some of them and helping them along with their career. So it was just natural. And I had the opportunity to do that, to continue to do that with my main sponsors. And, and then that evolved into a full-time job or you know a contract position that had nothing to do with being a pro snowboarder was just you know with different deliverables and uh and yeah and along the way like then I wanted to then I wanted to be an employee and I just wanted you know one job one focus and so uh so I've been doing that for the snowboard brand that was my first sponsored um getting snowboards and Lib Tech snowboards and and uh so that's where I work now and I live near the factory and and help develop product and work with the team and all sorts of stuff.
2: When you decided to go from professional snowboarding into your new career, did you already knew that that was waiting for you or did you have to create that yourself along the way?
1: I think I I had to create that along the way. Um, I think you know, as with any, any time in life or any job profession, like you just have to be clear about what your strengths are and what you can do well. And, and also what the market need is. Like I knew that they needed um, somebody that, you know, a female perspective in all of those aspects of their business. And so, um, so that was, you know, I was confident that that's what i brought to the table and and just fortunate that you know along you know sponsored rider relationships they were all good friends too so it wasn't just uh wasn't just that I had a contract with these companies the people that I worked with were friends and we had been you know working together since through the birth of snowboarding (laughs) so everybody kind of had this common bond and um and fortunately we still have that at at Mervyn, who makes GNU and LibTech. But but yeah, I, I think I did sort of define that role for myself and, you know, mm-hmm. knew what I brought to the table and knew what my strengths were and knew what they needed. And and did you find that transition
2: hard? Like I've been talking to a lot of other athletes who finished their career and they they found that transition very difficult and And a lot of them even went through depression when they stopped their professional career because they felt lost and sometimes sort of like lose of purpose. Did you ever feel stuff like that? Or was that very natural for you to transition into that?
1: Well, I think any transition is hard. Um, at, At that particular transition, it felt pretty natural because I also started having babies. And so like I didn't want to be known as uh, just a professional snowboarder. I was, I guess, more driven to be known for my contributions beyond just snowboarding. And so, um, so that, that transition from that point into working for the brands, I got to kind of walk the line where I still was a representative of the brand, still an ambassador. So I still could kind of keep that identity, but I just took on different responsibilities and kind of that transition was not as difficult as it would be for some who get the rug pulled out from under them. And it's just like, you're done now. What are you going to do? But I I think there's constant transition in any career. And so like, I've since transitioned like five different times, at least from (laughs) that, that, those roles to then being an employee and then taking on new responsibilities. And, um, and then currently transitioning again, because I am looking to, you know, pursue some other projects that kind of broaden my uh, professional goals right now. And so, so yeah, that's tough too. And you have to, you have to maintain your own identity and not tie it into what your job is. And you have to come back to like, what your strengths are and what's important. And why you're doing the things you're doing your why right Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so what is
2: what is important to you like for your career and for your like where you are now
1: yeah I mean I think that what's important to me is that I still want to, I mean, I don't want to say influence because influence has such a bad connotation now. I don't want to be an influencer, (laughs) believe me, (laughs) but, but I still want to have influence on the industry and, you know, be a positive influence on riders and, and athletes coming up into the sport and a positive influence on the brands and you know an advocate for the athletes to to sort of you know get what they deserve and 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 clearly define like their contribution to these brands and to the sport and and so i guess i i still just want to be i want to have a positive influence on people and the businesses that i work with but that's that sounds really shallow <laughs> i'm still working on it obviously <laughs> i know in here um you know because my my kids like they're they're entering the industry so to speak like my daughter's recreational snowboarder but they they all like to surf and skate and my son is actually starting to do some kind of professional snowboarding in the fact that he's not a competitor he's not going to go do x games and olympics at least not at this point that's not his goal, but he has some sponsor support and he's, you know, doing content and, and is recognized for his skills. And so it's a, it's a different job description, but it's still, he's an athlete. And, and so it's interesting to kind of see that, how that role has changed and, you know, try to support him in, in that path and so my why is like I still just I want to be able to help whether it's kids or adults through you know just being the best and most positive having the most positive impact as they can and whatever work they're doing. Do
2: you have any advice for any other like yeah young women who maybe want to get into the snowboard industry not just as a snowboarder but also as a career like any good advice you, you could give there?
1: Yeah. You know, I I've found that at least even in recent years, like just f- seeking mentors, like finding people that you see that have done things that um, you aspire to do, or, or even um, just mentors that are are, you know, positive role models that can, can give advice. Cause I've got mentorship from women who don't work in snowboarding, but I know that they've you know, build organizations and lead in a way that I would, you know, that I aspire to do, and um, and so I think it's a lot of. It. And I, and I may not have had that approach in snowboarding. We were all part of one community, but I wasn't like seeking out, you know, mentors as an athlete. Maybe I should have, <laughs> but. But now in career and, and realizing the power of having that support system and, you know, lifting each other up and not just like trying to climb over each other to get that one token spot as a girl on a team or as a woman and, you know, in a professional position, it's more like, how what can we do to to open the door for more participation and more opportunity for other women, because uh, we can really lift each other up and make the industry stronger when there's more diversity across the board, whether it's, you know, as athletes or as people running the businesses. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, well, that's great. So I think now I'd love to uh, maybe take the conversation also a little bit in a different direction and tell maybe the story about why we actually connected, which was because you you saw one of my talks where I uh, share my my story about my car accident and and you actually reached out to me because you could resonate a lot with that because you recently or yeah, one and a half year ago, you were in a car accident yourself with your family. And I think you showing that vulnerability again was we open up to each other and, and I th- think we like, Slowly creating, like you know, a
1: friendship. We we bonded, yeah. (laughs) Bonded over that, and
2: you know, that's what you do when you when you're vulnerable. And I was vulnerable, you're vulnerable, and that's how we create strong connections. And even though we haven't met each other face to face, I still feel like you know we have something special there that that we both maybe understand. And and I just wonder if you could tell a little bit about that experience, but also maybe what that taught you and, and what um, even though it's a very you know tragic experience I always think there is something positive that we can always take away from these uh, experiences like I try to do you know I try to turn my story also into a positive thing to to say like hey this is what I learned and this is what I want other people to learn from my story as well so do you have anything there that that you learned from that experience
1: yeah and and I I actually had come across one of your talks when I was not so much you know I wasn't looking for somebody that had a similar experience that I could learn from but more I was looking at like wow I'm really in awe of athletes or anybody that can take their story to the public stage and speak about it so public speaking something I'd like to get better at and something that I'm trying to because I know when you can confidently share your story that helps you and no matter what career you're going for whether you want to be a broadcast announcer or or just you know speak to your peers in some way with confidence and clarity. And and so I really liked your talk and then realized how much we had in common just through shared experiences going from, you know, life shifts when something like an accident happens. And um, for me, it wasn't, it, it was, we're coming up on two years now, it's almost two years post accident, but it wasn't me in the vehicle, it was my son and my husband and uh, and they were hit head on in a pretty tragic car accident where the other driver was killed. And, um, you know, she was at fault. She lost control. And, you know, the car slammed into our vehicle. And, you know, my husband and son were really, really lucky to survive that. They were both pretty beat up. The car was totaled. And, uh, and it was just that. You know, life shifted for all of us because I got the call that said your husband and son have been in an accident. And we don't, couldn't tell me anymore, You know, other than they were still stuck in the vehicle and they were working to figure things out, and and so at that moment everything just shifted, and it and it still quite honestly shifted. It's it's still shifting because it just takes everything that was important to you up till that moment and it reframes it, and then it's like wow, there's nothing more important than, you know, these guys surviving and us all getting through this together and for you as well. And I'm sure for your parents, they had their own very unique experience when they learned about you and, and nothing, you know, you have to take these challenges and turn them into opportunities. And what is that opportunity? And it was the opportunity to, to reframe perspective on life and work and the balance of all of that. And what's important and, um, and really, really happy to say that they're both healed and healthy and, you know, but you don't ever truly like move on from it. You just take that experience and, um, and build on it and hopefully learn more about yourself in the process. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah. And, and I mean, we had all been through snowboard injuries that for many People would say they they were tragic, but those were like self imposed. You know, you know when you're taking on something with a level of risk that you're um, potentially, you know, things could happen. But it's almost like it's a calculated risk. And then, but that just that blindsidedness of of being in a car accident. It's not like those are ever predictable, and uh, and that anything could happen in an instant and. You know, and so going forward, you just have to think about like, are you living your life the way that you want to? You know, are you are you doing everything you can to to be the person you want to be and provide for the people that you want to provide for? (laughs) And like, you know, because you only get one chance. So, so that has sort of shifted my perspective on just who I am and who I want to be for my family and what I want to do in the world and I know it's done the same for them although we all handle things differently we definitely um we're closer I'd say because of it it's
2: the same with me like where I was you know I was also so I was the age of your your son when it happened and yeah yeah, my parents story about how they got the call is a story in itself and 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 sometimes yeah I'm like what they went through I feel like it's almost harder than what I went through
1: sometimes I know know? I kind of feel like I made it slightly more traumatized than the rest of these guys (laughs) I mean I laugh about it but when we all had our own experience with it but these uh, this only happened it happened a few hours from where we live so that felt like an eternity just getting there and and putting the pieces together and figuring out where everybody was at and what happened. Your parents were dealing with, you know, you were in a different country, right? I mean, the yeah. distance is very real yeah. and very painful and exactly. well, I'm glad you're okay too. And I'm glad you're sharing <laughs> about it. And I, I'm, yeah. you know, I, I share about it too, because, you know, another thing that had also become a part of my life just prior to the accident was. I got into the, to this world of insurance and had started working in financial services a little bit just to help myself and help some of my peers and help athletes. Ultimately, I wanted to be able to help them with some of their strategies so that they, you know, could set themselves up for the future. And, um, and then, you know, right after getting my license, this happened and, I got thrust into this world of insurance not the kind that I envisioned, you know, helping people with but mm-hmm. almost as a victim of like um whatever policies and protections we had in place already had to be good enough to take care of our family when when things went wrong and you know that was educational but it also kind of helped me see that there are things we can do to protect ourselves and our loved ones and case yeah. the worst happens and you know definitely are we, we learned a lot from that and be set next time if hopefully there won't ever be a next time but yes. you always want to kind of prepare for the unknown
2: of course but it sounds like even though it's obviously a, a very traumatic experience for your whole family it seems like that you managed to take the positives out of it and try to focus on that and move forward in that way which i think it's is great
1: Yeah, I mean, I think everybody—it's a work in progress. We mm -hmm. all have to try that.
2: Yeah, and we all deal with it different ways. And I think that kind of brings me to another thing, which is uh, because this podcast is also about, you know, talking a bit about mental health and and what we can do, put focus on it, and just do little things every day to to be nice to ourselves. So, I wanted to ask you: Do you have like a routine every day that you do? for your mental wellness or anything little things that you do.
1: Oh my gosh, I try. I think if I could my routine that I think would serve me best would be is if I could get up every morning and go surfing and <laughs> go for a walk in the sun, but I don't get to do that here not all year round and uh and I do like to wake up early before the sun and stretch and just take that time for myself and do some meditations and and uh definitely been trying to focus inward and and get that vision clear again because like we talked about that vision when I was just snowboarding was so clear and now you know there's so much that I want to do with this life that we have and the, what's left and I just want to I want to make the most of it but then I end up that vision I have to work on clear getting that clear in the morning and and also knowing what I'm setting out to do each day so that each of those little goals can get me there but no I mean I'm not a, a real rigorous routine person but I do like my morning time before everybody's up and I will either do with work out, get on my bike or or go for a walk or just stretch. <laughs> <Yeah. So it's, laughs> before but, sitting down at a computer for the rest of the day.
2: <laughs> yeah. But it's so funny, like every single person I asked on the podcast about what they do for their mental health, they all mention their morning routine. Yeah. So, so it just seems like starting the day off in a good way is is something that is like is so important. We feel like mentally resilient for the rest of the day
1: exactly because then no matter what happens throughout the day you can at least go oh well, at least, yeah i started it off pretty good <laughs> at least i feel strong or at least i feel centered um don't ask me about my night routine because that just i try to i end up going to bed at like eight or nine most nights and
2: <laughs> before well, the nice. kids do <laughs> well then i think that's great and then you get up early right and it's, yeah uh, it's more natural yeah um and just to like in the end here I would like to ask you if you have anything else you'd like to share any advice you'd like to give
1: yeah i think that the, there's so much i still i mean be a student keep learning cuz it's i used to think by the time i'd get to my current age that i would know everything and i would just be you know just cruising but that that's not fulfilling at all and i don't know everything and so i would say just keep learning and and keep surrounding yourself with people that you know you're the sum of your closest people and and so you know don't surround yourself with negativity that goes for social media that goes for just the humans you're spending time with or the the job or the the place where you're at like try to Try to surround yourself with positive people because that's that just will take you a lot further than anything's possible. You know, yeah. like you can set set that, that vision as high as you want to go and you'll get the you time to get that. vision. You're not too old. <laughs> no. And like exactly. currently, I really want to set myself up in a place and an environment where I can surf more because I know that makes me feel healthy and strong. And so. I'm coming well, for you, Emily. Yeah, I was like, you
2: have to come visit soon.
1: <laughs> I'd so, love to. It's a to. great season here now. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> no, it was such a great talk. It was so nice to hear more about your story and thanks for sharing and being so vulnerable. It was very, very nice.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, uh, I'd love to keep in touch and let's, um, I'm I'm a fan of yours, so I'm rooting cool. for you. and. I'll be calling you up for maybe some public speaking tips because (laughs) I admire what you've done on the stage. Oh, thank you. I have a few of those in the sleeves, so I'm happy to share. (laughs) Okay, good. Uh,
2: And just before we end, like if people want to follow you or know more about you, uh, do you have like, is there any place where they can uh, find you, social media, websites, something like that?
1: uh yeah it's i'm really only on instagram don't pay much attention to facebook but barrett cc instagram um i do have a website barrett seats barrettcc.com and uh and that really i try to just put highlights on there articles or things i'm working on but um but yeah, I I will get better at social media. But <laughs> if you want to follow, you might catch a few things. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Great. Well, I'll put the put the handles and um down in the in the description, then people can go see uh, see more about you if they want. To.
1: Cool. Thank yeah. you. No, I, yeah. thank
2: you so much for for taking the time.